All right, well, welcome again to Calvary, everybody. Whether you're in the room or watching us online, Facebook or YouTube or a podcast, thanks for joining us today at Calvary, where it's our mission to love God, love people, and change the world. We're so thankful that you are here today. As we mentioned earlier, make sure to take those cards, use them as a tool to invite uh, someone to Easter. We want to pack this place out three times next week, and they're going to hear about the good news of Jesus. You'll notice that the, uh, uh, the design kind of has that vintage newspaper look about it, because we've got some incredible real news. This isn't fake news. This is the best news of all. Jesus is alive. We can confirm that he is alive. And so that's going to be next week as we, as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. But this week, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. You can turn in your Bibles there. Matthew 21. We're going to look at the events around the time of the week before Resurrection Sunday on Palm Sunday. Of course, today we celebrate Palm Sunday. Now, it's called Palm Sunday because almost 2,000 years ago, people came from around the region to welcome Jesus into the streets of Jerusalem. And as they did, they had palm branches. Now, some of them, they waved the palm branches and shouted Hosanna, and others, they laid down those palm branches on the ground as Jesus entered in on a donkey. And, and for us today, we might think, well, that sounds a, a little strange. Why did they do that? We don't, we don't understand that in 2023 very much. But back then, this would have been very significant because that sort of treatment was reserved for kings and princes and military leaders and dignitaries. And so as they welcomed Jesus, they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, as we just learned a few minutes ago, that just means save us or Lord, please save us now. And uh, before we get too far into the message, I'm just going to invite us all across the room. Can we stand for the reading of God's word today? We don't do this every week, but being a Palm Sunday, I thought it'd be good if we would stand for the reading of God's word. You can turn in Matthew 21 in your, your app or your real Bible or follow along right here on the screen as well. Beginning with verse one, Matthew 21. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. We just sang that, didn't we? Behold him, the son of heaven. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of a burden. Then the disciples, they went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today. Thank you for Palm Sunday. Thank you for your word. Lord, as we reflect and remember the events of your final week before you were crucified, the events of Passion Week, I pray that we would do so with hearts that are thankful, with hearts that are grateful for what you did. We thank you for the gift of salvation. I pray that you would bless your people today as we receive your word, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. Palm Sunday, also called the triumphal entry. As Jesus entered the streets, they hailed him as king, as Messiah. And it was an occasion that kicked off some of the most important events of the most important week in human history. This week was packed with real, historical, and meaningful events. And so today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through some of those events. We're not gonna be able to touch on every single event or go into great detail with all of the events, but we're going to look at what it meant back then and how it can apply to us today. Now, to set the scene, it's springtime in Israel. It's the Jewish month of Nisan, or Nisan. Now, this is not the Japanese automaker. (laughs) Nisan was one of the months on the Jewish calendar that corresponds with our early April on our calendar. Now, the 14th day of Nisan was the day for the annual feast of Passover. If you don't know about Passover, centuries earlier, God had commissioned Moses and the children of Israel, hey, I want you to celebrate Passover every year to remember your deliverance out of the hands of the Egyptians. They were enslaved for 400 years there in Egyptian, but God rescued them, and so they wanted to celebrate that with Passover, which included some some unleavened bread and the sacrifice of lambs, things like that. So Now, back in Jesus' time, there's Jews from all over that are converging into the city of Jerusalem to commemorate and celebrate the Passover feast. And so Jesus and his disciples, they were coming too. In fact, they had just come from the ancient town of Jericho. You can see that on the screen here. Uh, To the right of the screen, uh, there's a town called Jericho. It's just to the west of the Jordan River. Now, Mark, I think chapter 10 tells us that Jesus had just healed a blind man named Bartimaeus in the town of Jericho. So they are, you can leave that map up there. They are leaving Jericho and they are going to ascend and and head to Jesus's final journey into Jerusalem. Now you'll notice that map says it's about 20 miles, uh, anywhere from 17 to 20 miles ascending the terrain there uh, toward Jerusalem. Now on the way there, you'll see there's a, a little town off the beaten path called Bethany. Okay, it's about two miles in between Jerusalem and Bethany. And so they, they, they head into Bethany where some of Jesus's friends are, Mary, Martha, and Jesus. So get the picture. They've left Jericho. They've ascended up the Mount of Olives to an elevation over 2,000 square feet, not square feet, to feet above of, of sea level, directly opposite the great Jewish temple across the Kidron Valley. So it was quite a hike. And so as he enters into Bethany, he's probably hungry. So he stops there for some dinner 
with Mary and Martha, their brother, Lazarus. Now, if you will, keep your finger in Matthew chapter 21 and then turn to John chapter 12. And it's in John chapter 12, we're going to learn that this dinner that Jesus stopped for happens the day before the triumphal entry. In fact, actually, this entire week, Jesus would come back and forth from Jerusalem to Bethany. Okay? He would spend his days in Jerusalem, then retreat back into Bethany to stay with his friends. So John chapter 12, let's begin, uh, let's begin in verse number 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was him that was about to betray Jesus. He said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Don't you love John just gives us a little detail, kind of throws Judas under the bus here, right? (laughs) Judas, he didn't really care about poor people, John said. He's kind of tattling on on Judas here. He he was kind of the treasurer of Jesus' money and he would skim money off the top. He didn't care about the poor. So Jesus said, leave her alone, leave Mary alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now, remember, John said, he started out in verse one, telling us that this is six days before Passover. So remember, uh, Passover is on the 14th day of Nisan, and this particular year, Passover landed on our Friday. So you can do the math. Six days before that probably corresponds with our Saturday, the events of this dinner. So Jesus and his his disciples, like thousands of others, they're coming into the streets of Jerusalem to celebrate the annual feast. Now, this Passover, most people didn't know it. This was going to be like no other Passover before. In fact, Matthew chapter 20, just before we were in Matthew 21, just before that, Jesus told his disciples while they're on their way to Jerusalem that, hey guys, just so you know, once we get there, at some point I'm gonna be arrested, they're gonna put me on trial, I'm gonna be flogged, I'm gonna be beaten, I'm gonna be nailed to a cross, they're gonna crucify me, but don't worry because on the third day I'm gonna rise again. But somehow, the reality of that statement didn't sink in with the disciples. But anyways, Jesus, he's having this relaxing evening with his friends. Now remember, this is the very last Saturday before Jesus is to be crucified. He's enjoying dinner with his friends, and Mary does this incredible thing. She anoints Jesus with some very expensive perfume and oils. Now, it was made from an aromatic herb also called spikenard from the country of India. It was from the mountains of India that had to be imported in alabaster bottles. 
In fact, it was so valuable that some people back then, they, they used it for investment purposes, like some people today would use gold for investment purposes. And this particular nard, John tells us, was worth about 300 denarii. Well, how much is that, you might ask? Well, that's about uh, an entire year of a working man's wage back in that time. So this was a very extravagant gift. Not very many people would have been able to afford such expensive perfume. So Mary takes the oil, she takes the perfume, and she pours it on Jesus's feet, literally anointing him in that moment. And this kind of nard was so costly, so valuable, that it was reserved for kings and nobility. So Mary's extravagant gesture was her way of telling Jesus, you are my kingly Messiah. By the way, I think John noted that you use these kinds of spices and oils when you're, when you're burying someone too. Mary didn't know it at the time, but less than a week later, Jesus was to be buried. So her act was literally preparing the body of Jesus for his burial. But here's what I want us to understand this morning. Mary got it. She, she was extravagant because she was dialed into the fact that Jesus was deserving of such costly, expensive love and appreciation. She gave her best to the best. That's, that's typically what we do too, right? We reserve our best for the best. So there, there, are, there are shoes, there are clothes that I have that are a little more expensive than normal that I reserve, not just for every day, right? I reserve them for special occasions, for special events. Now, my family, they'll tell you that I have multiple pairs of shoes, including these, that do not leave this property, okay? So this morning, just like every other Sunday morning, I wear black sneakers, I park out in the grass because uh, the staff and the Dream Team, we leave the best parking spots for our guests. Come on, Dream Team, they know what we do. Yep. So I walk in with my black sneakers and then I kind of do this, um, this Mr. Rogers routine where I, I switch out my shoes. So there are shoes that stay here that you will never see me wear these shoes outside of this room. Okay. Well, you'll see me in the Welcome Center, but you understand what I'm saying. They stay in my office the rest of the week. I, I save certain things. There is cologne that I wear that's more expensive than your average cologne that I save only for Sundays. I have multiple bottles of cologne that stay in my office. They are not to be used at home. If you'd like to smell it, you can meet me in the Welcome Center and give me a little... <laughs> Give me a little sniff, sniff, right? We save our best for the best. And listen, Jesus is the best. He doesn't deserve our leftovers. He is king and Messiah and Lord and master and savior. And we do him a disservice when we, when we bring to him quick, easy, cheap praise. He's deserving of more than that. Now, the onlookers, they didn't understand what was going on here. Why is Mary being so extravagant? 
What in the world are you doing here? That perfume is as much as a working man's yearly wage. So they're like, Mary, why are you being so extravagant with your praise? And they asked such a question because they hadn't been touched and transformed by his presence like Mary had been. Some people, they may not understand, why do you come to church every Sunday? Why are you giving God 10% with your tithes and your offerings? Why do you serve every week on a dream team? Why are you using your gifts and your talents and your abilities for the kingdom of God? Why are you so extravagant? Well, we can answer it's because Jesus deserves nothing less than our best. Mary got it. Mary understood this and so should we. Let's, so let's not be so concerned about what Judas has to say, right? You're going to say what you're going to want to say, Judas. Uh, I, just, I just came to give Jesus my best. Amen, everybody? Amen. Amen. Now, John 12, verse 12 tells us that it's the very next day after the events of this dinner that the events of Palm Sunday take place. So Jesus, he leaves Bethany and he enters the streets of Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, the disciples in the crowd, they didn't realize it at the time, but they were witnessing the fulfillment of prophecy right there that very day as Jesus paraded down the streets of Jerusalem. Zechariah 9.9 actually prophesied this in the Old Testament. He said this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the Jews, they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, save us now. They were anticipating the coming kingdom of God, hoping that this was the moment. This was the moment that the Messiah was going to finally come and take over and overthrow, conquer Rome and set himself up as the new ruler. But Jesus, he didn't come on a war horse. He came on a donkey. He didn't come as a conquering king on a war horse. Not yet anyways, right? Because when he comes again, at the second coming, he will come on a war horse, on a white horse, as a conquering king, and we will rule and reign with him forever. But this is the first coming. This is, this is the first time the king would come on a donkey. In fact, he would come on a donkey that had never been ridden on before. And I want you to keep this in mind, that everything that Jesus did was done with intentionality. It fulfilled this prophecy he was the first one to ride on this donkey. By the way, he would be buried in a tomb that no one had ever used before either. But you might be asking, why a donkey? I think one of the reasons is because a donkey represents peace. Again, his first coming, Jesus came not to make war. Jesus came to make peace. Specifically, he came to make peace between sinful man and a perfect God. Also, a donkey represents service. Donkeys were used to carry things. Donkeys were used to serve people. 
We just talked about last week that Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. In fact, he defined greatness as service. In the kingdom of God, that's how, that's how he defines greatness is through serving other people. So he came with a very different kind of salvation, the eternal salvation of all who would trust in him as Lord and Savior. And it may not have been what they wanted, but it was what they needed, right? And, and as Jesus entered the streets of Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago, guess what? Jesus is still entering the hearts and lives of people today that will receive him and make him Lord and Savior. Because here's the thing, when you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he is your conquering king. He came and conquered and defeated sin and shame and guilt, and he wipes out all of your unrighteousness. So you aren't some faceless person in a crowd. You are known, you are loved, and you are welcome into relationship of the family of the everlasting God. Now, many scholars, they believe it was the next day. Some say maybe it was that same day. Some say maybe it was the next day on Monday when Jesus cleansed the temple. Now, you'll remember that people, they have traveled from all around to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Most people, when they traveled, they did not bring with them animals to be sacrificed at Passover. So they would go to the temple to buy animals there, to buy birds and pigeons and sheep and other things like that. So in the temple, there were money changers. There was currency exchange because you might have uh, Roman currency or Greek currency. So they'd, they'd have to have money changers to, to switch out the currency for you. That was happening in the temple. In the temple, there was buying and selling going on. The place that should have been reserved for the sacred and reverent unto the Lord. They had turned God's house into a marketplace. And on top of that, they took advantage of people. They took advantage of widows and poor people and other people too. So the priests, they would look at these animals that were coming to be sacrificed. They'd inspect them and say, I'm sorry, this isn't gonna work. This is, this is too flawed. This isn't perfect enough. But if you go into the temple, you can buy an upgrade. You can get a more perfect animal that's more suitable for the sacrifice. Now, keep in mind that there was uh, probably over a quarter of a million lambs that were sacrificed at Passover. So we can imagine that this would have been a lucrative time for the temple leaders. And this did not make Jesus happy at all. Back to Matthew chapter 21 uh, beginning with verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought the temple. He just drove them out. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. By the way, come back tonight. We're going to make this a house of prayer tonight as we seek God for a great Easter weekend. But you have made it into a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. 
So picture the scene. The religious leaders, they have corrupted the religion. They have corrupted the law. Then Jesus, who's furious about it, he, he creates a stir, right? He, he stuns the crowd. He walks right into the middle of the chaos where the money changers are, where they're buying and selling animals. And he went right into the middle of it all and he starts overturning the tables. He starts cleansing the table and says, how dare you? This is a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of robbers. Get out of here. And by doing so, he exhibited and exercised his authority over the religious leaders and over their law and their made-up rules. See, they had chose to define what worship was all about. They had made themselves the decision makers of, okay, this is what it looks like to be devoted to God. we got to do this, this, and this. But listen, we don't decide what devotion to God looks like. We don't get to choose to, and worship God on our terms. Jesus wants pure worship. He wants pure hearts that are fully committed to pleasing, not us, but pleasing him. And so for us, we don't want to allow for any corruption, any redefinition of what worship is all about unto our God. If we make anything more important than him, then whatever that thing is, whoever that person is, that activity, maybe money, some sort of addiction, whatever it is, that then becomes the idol in our lives in place of Jesus. We've corrupted this temple when we do that. So Jesus wants to step into the, the middle of all of that and cleanse it. He wants to clear it out so that he can do what he wants to do. Did you notice this at the very end of the scripture? As soon as he cleared out all the corruption, he was able to do miracles. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Isn't that incredible? Once we get our version of worship cleared out, our definition of following Jesus cleared out and we embrace what he wants to do in our lives, that's when Jesus can come in and clear everything out and he can do what he wants to do. He can bring into your situation healing and victory and freedom and liberty into your house. So for us, is there something that needs to be cleared out? Is there something that's corrupted our temple? I would just encourage you, use this as a reminder to remove those things from your life. Allow Jesus to overturn some tables in your life to clean some things out so that we can worship him like he truly deserves. Now, we'll quickly touch on a couple of more events that week. The next day, Jesus is in the temple again, and the Pharisees, they question his authority. Let's jump down to verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John 
From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves saying, well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But, but if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, okay, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Right? So Jesus, he masterfully put the Pharisees in this no-win situation. Right? They, they couldn't or wouldn't answer Jesus' question. So Jesus said, okay, I'm not obligated to answer your question either then. But in fact, in reality, he's already answered their question in a way. When Jesus mentioned John the Baptist, he was implying that both his and John the Baptist's authority came from heaven, came from the Father above. And the leaders, they had plenty of opportunity. They have heard over and over this message of repentance from John the Baptist and from Jesus, but yet they refused to repent. They refused to acknowledge Jesus' authority. Nothing was going to stand in their way of taking out Jesus. They had it in their mind, a plot to kill Jesus, and nothing was going to prevent them from doing that. But for us today, we too have to decide, will we accept Jesus' authority in our life or will we reject his authority in our life? Will we make ourselves Lord and Master over my life? Or am I going to submit to the Lordship of Jesus and let him have full control and full authority in my life? That was Tuesday. Then Wednesday. Wednesday is the day traditionally thought to be the day that Judas went to the leaders to negotiate a price to betray Jesus. And Judas, he ends up doing that for 30 pieces of silver. And that's kind of a sad thought for me. I mean, think about that. Judas had walked with Jesus. Judas had made an intentional decision to follow Jesus, likely following him for Jesus's three-year ministry here on the earth. He made a decision to follow Jesus. He's seen Jesus in action. He's heard his messages. He's heard his parables. He has seen him perform miracle after miracle, healing the sick, raising the dead, and on and on. He's also experienced the love of Jesus. Yet Judas chooses to betray Jesus. Judas, he, he, instead of having love and experiencing friendship and loyalty to Jesus, he chose hatred and betrayal. His love for money was greater than his love for Jesus. And sadly, over the years, I've known people who have walked away from Jesus too. Some did it for money. Some did it for sex or fame or some sort of perceived freedom outside of Jesus. Others walked away from Jesus because God didn't answer their prayers the way they thought he should answer their prayers. Others walk away from him because they're just unwilling to submit to God's plan and God's purpose for their lives. 
But I pray for us that we will always embrace God's call upon our lives. We will always embrace in every aspect of our lives what God has for us. Don't trade in a life with Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It's not worth it. Then that leads us to Thursday. Thursday was the last supper. This would be the last meal that Jesus would have before he was arrested, before he was crucified. And so much went into this last supper, this last meal together, so much so that we could do an entire sermon series on the events and the conversations that happened at that last supper. Some of the most uh, intimate moments, some of the most intimate conversation Jesus had with his disciples happened during that meal on Thursday night. I can imagine that his mind was, was swirling with the details, with maybe even thinking about what he was about to face, how he was about to be arrested and crucified and beaten and the pain that he was about to endure. Yet somehow he was able to put that in his back of, the, of his mind and give his disciples full attention. He was able to encourage them and love them and even serve them. He washed his disciples' feet that night one by one. Then he served them the first ever communion. The bread, which of course represented his body that was about to be broken for the sins of the world. And they took the cup, the wine, which represented the blood that was about to be spilled for our sins. Then after the supper, they left the upper room and he went to the garden. You may remember he prayed as great drops, sweat drops of blood came. The prayer was so intense. Lord, if it be your will, can, can, can this not happen? I don't know if I can go through this. Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. The intense prayer in the garden. Then Judas arrives with the officials and he betrays Jesus with a kiss on the cheek. Then they arrest him and they have this mock trial in the middle of the night, which brings us to Friday where he is flogged, where he is scourged, where he is beaten, where he is whipped, where they place this crown of thorns upon his head. And eventually on that Friday, they nailed his hands and feet into a cross or he is crucified. Then later he was taken off the cross by Joseph of Arimathea and he is laid in a tomb. He was buried. Then Saturday, Saturday was silent, right? Jesus was dead and buried. His disciples were grieving and they were hiding in fear. How could this happen? What did this all mean? Why did it have to happen this way? But we all know what happened on Sunday morning. Come on, somebody, right? We'll celebrate it next week on Resurrection Sunday. All the powers of Satan and death and darkness and demons could not hold down our Lord because on that Sunday morning, he burst forth. He is alive and he lives forever and ever. Come on, everybody. You can do better than that. He lives. Up from the grave, he arose. He arose, triumph and victorious. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes today. In a few moments, we're going to take communion. 
But before we do that, we want to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life if you haven't done so. This is a very reverent moment. If you need to move, do it quickly, quietly right now because the Holy Spirit wants to draw people to Jesus. Now, we've just taken you on a journey that last week, we call it Passion Week. Had such passion for you and for me. We've taken you through the events of that last week before Jesus was crucified. And as you have listened to the details of that last week, Jesus' journey, I wonder if you realize that he didn't do it just for them, those people that were there 2,000 years ago. He had you in mind too that week. He did all of that because of his love for you. He gave it all. He sacrificed it all just so that you could have eternal life. And so I wonder today if you would like to receive the free gift of salvation. He did all the hard work. All we have to do is receive and believe. You know, I wonder if he was willing to die for you, would you be willing to live for him? If that's you today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer today. And this prayer is going to initiate your journey with the Lord. We're not asking you to join our church. We're just giving you an opportunity to meet Jesus, make him the Lord and Savior of your life. So here's what we're going to do. Everybody together out loud, repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I need a Savior. I need rescue. I have sinned. I have messed up. And I am sorry. Please forgive me for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising again for my salvation. I receive you into my life right now. And from this day forward, I will follow you. Amen. If you just said that prayer, welcome to the kingdom of God with uh, eyes still closed, head still bowed. If you said that prayer for the first time, you're making a commitment to follow Jesus for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time. Maybe you used to grow up in a church years and years ago, and you find yourself here today, and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Would you raise your hand and hold it there so I can see it? We've got a gift that we want to put in your hand to help you on your spiritual journey. You just said yes to Jesus, invited him to be the Lord of your life. Hold your hand high, hold it there. And someone's going to come behind you, and with them they have a bag. In that bag, there's a Bible, there's a journal that says, now what, that's going to help you on your spiritual journey. We want to help you on your walk with Jesus. This is the best decision you could ever make. And guess what? You now get to join with us in communion. I'm just going to invite us all across the room to stand as we prepare for communion. As you're standing, we just want to make sure that everybody got one of these cups with the juice and the cracker. If you do not have one of these, just lift your hand high, hold it there. We've got hosts that are looking for you right now. Hold your hand high. Thank you, hosts. You're doing a great job. Appreciate it. And if you're watching online, we'll just give you a minute. You can go to your pantry, find a piece of bread or cracker or something and some sort of juice to represent the blood of Jesus. We're gonna partake together in just a moment.
If you want, you can even go ahead and take that cracker out. You'll remember Passover always landed on the 14th day of Nisan. We talked about that earlier. And remember this year just so happened that that landed on Friday. That's the day that Jesus died. That's why we call it Good Friday. That's coming up in just a few days. Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified and died on the cross for our sins. Now, according to Jewish regulation and and the religious law, the slaughter of the perfect Passover lamb happened in the temple right at three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, if you read your scripture, you'll find out that Jesus died precisely at the same time at 3 p.m. as the temple priests were sacrificing the Passover lamb. They had no idea that instigating the crucifixion of Jesus, that they were in effect offering the perfect, the ultimate sinless lamb of God back to the Father. And that lamb would once and for all take the sins of the world. And all who would believe in him would have eternal life and have their sins forgiven. In essence, they were doing away with animal sacrifices by offering Jesus that very moment that they were offering an animal sacrifice. That's why Paul noted in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Of all the days that Jesus could have been crucified, of all the days that he could have died, it was on the very day of Passover. And of all the times of the day, it was at the very time, 3 p.m., that the priests would slaughter the perfect Passover lamb. Isn't that incredible? Everything he did was done with intentionality. And just like Jesus... And the disciples took the bread and took the cup on that last supper on Thursday night. We're going to do that now. Father, we thank you for sending the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God. We thank you, Jesus, for being willing to take upon yourself the sin, the shame, the guilt of the entire world. We thank you for that and we remember what you did for us. All across the room, let's take the bread together, take the cracker representing his body broken for us. 